0: Now you want to talk about reading? Let's talk about reading.
1: Let me tell you of the days of high adventure. The book
0: served as a passageway to the evil worlds beyond.
1: Ready
2: to go, Doc? Oh, yes, yes, my dear fellow. I'll just check the gyroscopes.
1: Hello, and welcome back to the Appendix N Book Club. This is episode 117 on Clark Ashton Smith's The End of the Story, The Collected Fantasies, Volume 1. My name is Jeff, and with me today is that necromancer from the planet Venus, Hoy.
0: As always, working my wiles, working my wiles, growing my beard.
1: (laughs) And today we are joined by the co-host of Main Corpse, Matt King. Matt, welcome to the show. Hey, nice to be here.
0: Nice to, hear good you, to have you on. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I already have a beard, so I'm not.
2: Yeah, not I don't think
0: i like, in the time it takes you to grow like one whisker, you know,
2: <laughs> I listened to a few episodes of the podcast before I agreed to come on and I wanted a really cool introduction where I get called a necromancer, but I didn't get that. So
0: <laughs> we'll have a good outro. We'll have to, when we get to learn, yeah. you know what you're doing with, let's get you a great outro <laughs> between now and the end. <laughs>
1: Perfect. So Matt, if you want, go ahead and let us know about your history with gaming and reading science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Oh boy. Okay.
2: Um as far as gaming goes, I started
1: playing
2: D&D in the early 2000s. I think that would be you guys can correct me from wrong third edition probably, yes, if probably, it was in yeah. the early yeah. 2000s. Um, mm-hmm. I had some friends in high school, they were playing some of the I don't even know what you call them, some of the pre-written like uh stories that you can do where you don't really have to do any of your own work, you just do it. What are those yeah, called? Ad- adventure <laughs> modules. There you go. Adventure modules. I had a lot of fun doing it, but it kind of just didn't go anywhere. So uh-huh. I dropped out of it completely until about four years ago. Um, and some friends just randomly asked me, Do you want to jump in and, and play a little bit? And it's been literally every week for the past four years. Um, and right now we're on we're doing the curse of Strahd which has been really fun. Um, our DM's awesome, having a lot of fun doing it, but I'm a very casual gamer, um, but I love it. I mean, I'm having so much fun doing it. So
1: tell us about your character.
2: Uh, so my character right now, I am I grew up a fan of westerns. I love I love uh, spaghetti westerns, Italian westerns. Mm, so I fell really hard for the dark tower when I was younger. Um, so I, as soon as someone said, oh, you know they have like this, like outlaw style artificer, you can play. I was like, oh, I'm I'm in. I'm totally in. So I'm basically playing uh, playing uh, the gunslinger right now. I'm basically rolling, uh, walking through with the Curse of straw like a badass. So
3: there you go um,
2: <laughs> having a lot of like I said, just very casual. Everyone else in my group is really into it, and uh, I don't know if you can tell, but I just I I make fun of everything. and just just have fun with it.
0: So. All right. So then since you mentioned spaghetti westerns, mm-hmm. leaving aside Clint Eastwood, mm-hmm. because you know he's the who is. Your favorite gunslinger in spaghetti westerns,
2: Lee Van Cleef, and it's oh, not even Oh, for close. sure. There you go. Yeah, no doubt. Lee, Lee no Van doubt. Cleef. <laughs> that is the biggest badass in the history of spaghetti westerns. Like when he walks on the screen, you you just pay attention. You can't there you, you can't take your eyes off of him. Um, he's 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 great. He's, he's to me he's always been Clint Eastwood, but better. So I uh,
0: 100 agree with you, but I just mm-hmm. had to find out if we run that vibe oh, not yeah. for the most.
2: <laughs> and Death Rides a Horse. If you want to know my favorite one
0: there you go I love it the most unlikely gunslinger would be John louis Trontignan in The Great Silence though. yeah, yeah. oh yeah
2: yeah that's... The Great Silence is a masterpiece Um. any uh, oh my god am I trying to blank Klaus Kinski's in The Great oh, Silence so, Right. yeah he's yeah. the villain yeah, he he so is, bad
0: he's so evil in that one
2: he's insane like he's yeah. the most insane human being that's ever lived uh, Klaus Kinski so. <laughs> and yeah.
1: now that you've mentioned I'm not a western fan but now that mm-hmm. you've mentioned Death Rides a Horse I now want to have a double feature of a western and a giallo where it's Death Rides a Horse followed by Death Laid an Egg
0: I don't think he can beat that. Let's do
1: it. Just <laughs> show. You Show up and we'll do <laughs> exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. And if anybody who's listening um, doesn't know about the giallo genre, it's a, it's a genre of Italian horror films where it's like black-gloved killers, um, and you don't never know who the killer is until the end. But there was a ridiculous one called Death Laid an Egg, and one of the great things about Death Laid an Egg are all the chicken reaction shots <laughs> in the movie. They're, we're constantly cutting away to shots of chickens who are then like looking at the camera like very meaningfully. It's <laughs> pretty amazing. Have you ever
2: looked up why they always have chickens and ducks in giallo films? Have you ever noticed how big of a right. role chickens and ducks, ducks and birds yeah, play yeah yeah hmm. um i haven't but it has to be something uh yeah, so i don't like, know what it is it has, has, has
0: to do with witches must have go. to has something to do with witches
2: yeah um, go look it up i want to know right. someone right. someone get a hold of me and tell me because is it because be they're foul
0: Uh-huh. Oh, Oh. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> oh, my theory is that there was some mafia guy who actually owned a chicken farm and then he just wanted to make sure that you know he got his cut <laughs> yeah, it yeah
2: it was it was purely a capitalistic reason he was like i've got chickens i gotta I sell got to... them let's get them in the movies
1: <laughs> exactly <guys." laughs> i've got chickens and i've got a part ownership in j and b whiskey so i have to have the j and b label out at all points in every in every italian horror film <laughs> well my favorite my favorite
2: trope in italian films is when they try to make them look american so like you'll walk into an office and there. are will be like an american flag on every desk have you ever noticed that <laughs> and not. yeah watching the watch in the background now you'll never unsee it i was watching a movie called um anthropophagus the other night oh yeah you ever seen anthropophagus uh-huh. before yeah. um and when you watch it they they struggle so hard to let you know you are in america right now even Burr. though it's clearly <laughs> the italian like some small italian village like a beautiful italian village on on the shore but yeah you're in america Make no, make no mistake. You're transported
0: there by the... America uh, is a state of mind. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Amazing. Right. So now, Matt, if you were to recommend a piece of fiction for our audience to uh, read for inspiration, what would you recommend? So you
2: had to do this to me, and you asked me for two, and I was like, I can't I can't do two. Uh, so here's what I'm going to say. Um, I'm going to go with... Um, I have this, and I, I tried to find... Um, Tried to dig it out so I could find out where it was, but I know you can to find out who published it. I know you can find it on Amazon. Um, It's a collection of Ambrose Bierce short stories that I just absolutely love because it has the damned thing in it. Have you ever read the damned thing before? No,
3: um, not yet. Um,
2: you absolutely should. It's outstanding. Um, and it it has a few. There are a few other short stories in there that really stand out. But the damned thing itself um, is really, really good, especially if you like weird fiction. If you if you are a fan of of weird fiction, check it out. Um, another one that I'm going to recommend because I recommended it to um, someone who was a DM and they really got a lot of, uh, of help from it is Stephen King's On Writing. Um, hmm, which sure. which is really, it's, it's an odd one for me to pick, but he was having trouble kind of understanding basic story structure. And I said, you know, go check out On Writing because he really does a good job of, of laying it out there, um, and then I'm going to go with a local West Virginia book called "The Telltale Lilac Bush." Have you guys ever heard of that before? By Ruth yeah. Ann Music,
1: I think Mitchell, my partner, who's also from West Virginia, and a friend mm-hmm. and a childhood friend of Matt's, I think he has that.
2: Yeah, um, Appalachia has a uh, has a real storied history of um, of oral storytelling, um, of passing stories down from one generation to another in the oral tradition. Um, when I was a kid, people would tell me stories about you know. Um, balls of flame that would chase you know miners on their way home if they came home too late from work about women in white who you would pick up on the side of the road um, banshees all sorts of weird stuff uh, and this is so the telltale lilac bush is a collection of those um, oral horror stories that were passed from generation to generation actually put on paper um, she wrote two
1: different books and that's
2: the best of the two so
1: those Very would cool. be my three amazing. I've read on writing and one of my favorite moments in on writing is when Stephen King was saying, "I never liked Carrie White and I never trusted Sue Snell's motivations for telling her boyfriend to ask Carrie out yeah. to the prom, but I went with it." Yeah. And I just love that like you don't have to you don't have to like your characters or or even understand why they're doing necessarily what they're doing, but if you roll with it, cool shit's going to come from it.
2: Yeah, and mm-hmm. I I always tell um like anyone that I that I play d d with, if I because I I do things that I would never do as a person uh, just to see how I feel about it after my character does it. Right. It's it's so much fun to uh, to like get pissed off at yourself and be like, God, why did you do that? Uh, so I I tell friends that I see like trying to be the hero or trying to be the good guy or doing and I'm like, just do something you would never do and try it out. It feels good. Uh, my favorite part of on writing is actually, um, when he shows his own edits to his own work and, and how much, and how much he puts into it and how everything changes from one draft
1: to another. And it's, it's just super interesting to watch that whole process. Yep. Yeah. Perfect. So now we can go ahead and chat about which edition of the book we're working with. I feel like this part's going to be a little samey, but let's find out. Um, Matt, what are you working with? So
2: I went old school and I actually picked up the uh, the paperback copy of it from, yeah, same one you have from, I think it's 2006. And it's what, Nightshade? Is, is who put mm-hmm. it out?
1: Yes, it's the Nightshade Press paperback. It's got this cover by Claudia Noble. And I feel like the cover, like it's it's beautiful but it's kind of bland but somebody in the patron book club pointed out that if you follow the artwork around to the back you can also see that there's that there's a continuation of the piece and there's some weird demon holding some ancient tome holding it up to the person who's walked in um with their with their staff and that kind of makes the artwork more interesting
0: and by the way that is clark ashton smith there as the wizard and so each of the covers, it's him. Perfect. Is but
1: it? It really is. That's
2: yeah. Okay. It's really a picture right. of him,
0: like when he was a young poet. And then you, see, as the books okay. progress, you see pictures of him as he's older. Amazing.
1: And Hoy, what are you working with?
0: I am reading the ebook of the same book because the uh, bundle of holding had the whole set. I think uh, last year or the other year. Um, but I will warn anybody who's considering the ebooks that Nightshade's ebooks have terrible typography oh. okay you still readable oh, wow. but that... the 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 you know there's like weird line breaks and like you can't change the font at least on the kindle versions so okay just be aware of that because i've experienced that with some other nightshade books like the um william hope Hodgson and the glenn cookbooks that they publish as well too so that's something to be aware of
1: in addition to the ebook uh, or the paperback i also listened to the audiobook which is available on audible and it was lovely it has six different readers and if anybody's interested in just listening to this as well it's a fantastic collection that's available on audible
0: there you go very cool
1: Cool. So that is which edition of the book we're working with. Hoy, do we have a highgaxian
0: word of the day? We do, and we have a B word that we just have to include because it's so funny. but this is one I would have picked, but this is, uh, I'm going to give credit to Dan Alexander because he really uh, liked this one.
3: Involution.
0: involtuation, the act, use or act of making images of people, animals, etc, for witchcraft. It appears in three stories. It appears in the end of the story, It appears in the Venus of a zombie, and it appears in a necromantic tale. So that's involtuation.
1: I love it, and I'm also really glad because. So for those listening, we have a patron book club prior where our patrons join us. But if we have too many, sign up. Hoy and I split off. So this week, I led one group, and Hoy led another group. In my group, that was also a word that came up because I recommended it. Um, and yeah, because I, I loved the way it was used in the end of the story. So I'm really glad to see that one of the two that I had come up with ended up being the one we picked right. for this episode. No,
0: the other one we have to, have to include is such a great word. I think it only appears once.
3: It's a phallic
0: it's yes. the phallic <laughs>
3: uh, yeah <laughs> i a, think
0: rick Byrne brought that one up too right. which is means a statue with an erect penis
3: <laughs> yeah
0: but right. but dan was pointing out that there was actually a lot of sly somewhat risque humor in here because there was the um the cult that i think in the venus of zombie or one of the cults was the 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 female cult was the like Contra, yeah, like mm-hmm.
2: I thought oh. that too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah, perfect. And so, there was actually a fair amount of sexual humor that you know, would never appear in Lovecraft. And of course, Howard had a lot of you know, racy content, but not humor. So, yeah, so there you go. So,
1: now we can head on into the library and we can chat about what we think about the collected fantasies of Clark Ashton Smith, Volume One, at the end of the story. Um, I think a good way to start this conversation might be starting with our initial thoughts of the collection as a whole. Uh, Matt, what is what was your experience of reading the collection overall? Um, so I'm
2: going to say this. I am a, I'm a big Lovecraft fan. And that's when, when you asked me if I would want to read this, I, I jumped right on it. I was immediately like, yes, let's, let's go do this because he's part of that Lovecraft circle. So Mm -hmm. when I went in, I expected similar writing. And what I found was it's, it's significantly more accessible, I think, than, than Lovecraft's writing style. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I, some of it I loved some of it i will never read again mm-hmm. um I did find that some of his longer work you have to fall into a certain rhythm with his writing style almost like its poetry so that's why I wasn't surprised at all later on because after I read the book I, I went and looked everything i i could up about him and found out that he was a poet um and that makes a lot of sense when you read it um I think it's i think there's a lot here to love there's also a lot here that like i said i could just uh i could just do without So,
1: Hoy, what was your experience reading this collection?
0: Um, I enjoyed it, but I will have to say that if you are a first-time Clark Ashton Smith reader, then I don't recommend reading it in this way because this uh, collection or this series was specifically set uh, in the order that he composed all of his short stories. And so, you can see him developing, and some of them are like really full-blown, right? I mean, the first story of Abominations of Yondo is like, bang, right right out the gate. But then you can see some other ones where he's still... We're kind of working through and, and when you read some of the comments at the end, he goes, yeah, that wasn't that good of a story, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, um, but then you have these phenomenal ones like the tales of Tom and whatever. And so I really now and I think I mentioned this before when we we're talking in our very first Clark Ashton Smith episode with a- Andy Ashton, is that I really like what Lynn Carter did with the original Valentine adult fantasy in terms of how he sequenced the stories, how he collected the stories that were sort of thematically or related to specific um, you know, settings that he had, like the Zothiic setting. So he mm-hmm. put them into single collections. So I think as a person who is somewhat already versed in Clark Ashton Smith, I think this is great. As an introduction, I don't know if like the Penguin collection or that Return of the Sorcerer collection might be a better way to read Smith as a first-time reader.
1: Yeah, Hoy, I could not agree with you more. Um, I'm I'm really glad that we have read Clark Ashton Smith on this show the way that we have, because we started off with those four Ballantine adult fantasy collections. So We started off with Zothique, and then we read Hyperborea, then we read Poseidonus, and then we read Zicarf. And going through this collection, probably about half of them, maybe more than half, were stories that we had read previously from these other collections. But having them curated by setting and similar content, I think is a much better way to read these stories because there was a lot of, I like the way Joseph Hoopman said it in our patron book club. He said there's a lot of tonal whiplash mm. going on from one story to the next. And I really experienced that here. So I don't think this is the ideal way to read him, but I love that we're reading it this way because now I get to revisit some of those great works that were in those early collections before. And I get to read the other things that were chosen, to be included in those collections and some of them are fantastic and as matt said some of them really aren't and i don't ever need to read again Mm -hmm. yeah so
2: i want to thank you guys for making sure that my first experience was this Uh, (laughs)
3: thank you now that i'm hearing
2: that um it makes a lot of sense because and and yeah you're uh your 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 comment there, how somebody said it was whiplash. I I said I literally said the exact same thing. I was reading yeah. it one evening, and Brittany is sitting across across the room from me, and she's staring at me, and she's like, "You just not look like something really bad happened." And I was like, I felt like I was in like a car accident um, in my <laughs> head because I I just went from honestly like one of the funnest stories I've ever read into something that that just I mean was just a total letdown. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So like you said, tonally it's all over the place. Um, I did not do as much research into the way they collected these um, as obviously you guys did. I did not know that they were literally just in the order that he wrote them. Um, And it makes a lot of sense because by the time you get to the last 100 pages of the book, those stories are significantly better and more fleshed Mm -hmm. out and more interesting um, than what was at
1: the beginning. So, Mm
2: -hmm. yeah,
0: Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Uh, Jeremy, Harper, who was in our section of the book club, was mentioned that he was in touch with uh, a couple of the editors um, through the various forums in the early 2000s. And to him, um, the importance of this book for a couple of reasons, for scholarly access, obviously, but that there Mm -hmm. had not, this is sort of jump-started the current Clark, Ashton Smith um, revival. I don't know if that's the right word. I mean, he's still not as well known as Howard or or Lovecraft, but really you couldn't get any Clark, Ashton Smith for about... 20 years. The last time there was a good solid collection of his stuff was like in 88 and then some paperbacks in the early 80s. Um, So that this was important, but it would be nice maybe for someone, even if it was Nightshade, to pick a collection of like selections from this, like the high points. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I would love to see a collection for Clark Ashton Smith done the way that Del Rey did the Robert E. Howard collections because those were beautifully done and perfect because they're similar to the adult fantasy Valentine books in the sense that they're they're curated collections of stories by a main character or by a setting. But within those collections, they're presented in chronological order in terms of in the order in which they wrote them, mm-hmm. which they did not do with the adult fantasy versions. Mm-hmm. And I think it would be really cool to have like a Zothique collection where it's presented in chronological order and then like an Averroin? An Aver- Aver- Averone, yeah.
0: Uh, Averroin Aver- Aver- a- Aver- a- collection. Yeah. Aver- a- yeah. Um, there is actually a Naro1 connection from Hippocampus Press that just came out last year, um, but I do not know if it's in order of composition. Okay. Um, And then we were talking again with Andy. The Zothique books, which um, I don't think there's any in this collection yet. There's not. Which I think Matt you will love because those are so necrophiliac. They are Uh, his best stories. And
1: (laughs) my favorite quote from our Zothique episode was when 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 Andy Action said, uh, "These what what is it like?
2: There's a lot of mummy fucking more mummy fucking." (laughs) (laughs) I I think you could make an entire collection um, just from this book of all the things he wanted to have sex with. Uh, every, I was like, man, this guy, he, he really sees the beauty in everything. Um, you spend half a story telling me that these things have six arms and, and they're disgusting. And then suddenly, you're having
3: sex <laughs> with uh,
1: Really interesting thing. So, Matt, I'm curious. Of the stories that you read, is there one that really stuck out for you for, for good or for ill? So, there was one that
2: really stuck out for me. Um, and let me grab the name of it because I keep on getting the name wrong here. And that was marooned in Andromeda. I, I don't know why I, I absolutely loved it. I think it's probably because I uh, remember my comment about how I like Westerns. Uh, I, it kind of had that vibe to it. Uh-huh. Um, you have these, these guys who are, who are on this, uh, on this, this freighter who get like, mar- well, not a freighter. I guess it's more of like a, uh, a ship that's like exploring explore Like something, it's something in Star Trek, you know what I mean? And they get they get marooned on a planet
1: and because just, they were they were they were being mutinous. Yes, they were mutinous. And so the captain every, was like, get off.
2: And literally everything that can go wrong goes wrong. I, I found myself laughing at how much horrible, horrible shit these people had happened to them. I was like, okay, <laughs> this is what more could possibly happen. And specifically the little um the little pygmy tribe. Uh, that whole that whole part was just amazing. Um, how they, t- you know, the the monster they have in the cave. I just felt like I was standing there for all of it. It was so good. <laughs> it was so much fun. I I've, I've read that four times now. I like. Oh my so god. Much. I went back and reread it. Like after I finished
1: the book, I was like, all right, I'm going to go back and hit the high points again. And that was right where I started. So amazing. And yeah. I loved the ending of the story where the mm-hmm. captain comes back down and he's like, yeah, I know I kicked you guys off, but actually a bunch of my crewmates have died and i need you guys back so come on get on board no hard feelings even though (laughs) one of them had already died he's like yeah and you can tell me about your adventures when we when we get back into space yeah he's like we're cool right Right, and not only did
0: he kick them off he kept them in the dark for like two weeks in the basement of the ship right (laughs) (laughs) yeah is
1: that
2: how long it was i was having trouble understanding how long they were kept in the basement of that ship (laughs) um i was like man how did your legs work when you got off that thing
1: that's insane (laughs) I'm just hoping the two survivors were able to successfully mutiny the ship after they got back on.
0: Well, apparently there's two more stories because he was, uh, if you read oh. the, um, so he was, he wrote the story and then they said, oh, can you make a series out of it for whichever magazine that he was, he had submitted for a while. And then, so, um, and then, um,
1: so we have sequels coming in future right, collections. right?
0: And apparently, according to, um, again, according to um, Jeremy, those were considered completely lost until they were we discovered for this, um, by this publisher. And so that would be like discovering a, a Lovecraft story that no one had ever read. Wow. Um, those, those two sequel stories. So amazing.
1: Yeah. And Hoy, was there a story that really stuck out for you?
0: Um, for me, it would still be the tale of Satan Prazeros for, um, which is to me, absolute and utter proof that you know, when people talk about like, there's no archetypal thief and Dean, there's no literary archetype for the thief and Dean. You just point to that and say, you're completely wrong. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, um, but I also really liked uh, *A Venus of a Zombie*, and even the stories I didn't like um, as much had some really cool stuff in them. Like, for example, the um, uh, *The Immeasurable Horror*: the idea of this monster that's hundreds of miles long and has its own gravitational field, so their they're little, you know, space flyer can't get away from it. Cause kind getting sucked towards it it's really incredible
1: yeah um well because i yes yeah, st- sticking with um because i'm I'm kind of hoping to kind of stick with a story at a time and kind of explore sure. that a little bit so you're talking about the tale of uh, zetapro zempros zeros yeah zeros yeah. um yes love that story that story is amazing and it really feels like it's so proto fafford of the gray mouser
0: absolutely like, the the that, humor in it the way yes. yeah
1: Exactly, where where they're sitting around and they're like, "We only have enough enough gold for either some bread or some wine," and they're like, "The, the bread will fortify our body, but the wine will fortify our mind." So they agree to like go off and get wasted.
0: Yeah. I and love then, like, that And then when they're stealing from all the peasants <laughs> on the way to the <laughs> yeah,
1: and then when they've got the bag of red yams that they've stolen, and they're just so ashamed that they've <laughs> like they've gotten to a po- po- place where they have to steal yams now. Yeah, I wanted to hang out with I wanted to hang
2: out with them after I heard that. I was like, this just sounds like it would be so much fun. Yeah.
1: <laughs> the story that really stuck out for me is the titular story. Um, also just because the the 13-year-old in me loves saying the word titular. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I was trying not to laugh when you said it, man. <laughs> you did that. All right. But the end of the story, I, it's not one I had encountered before, because this is an Averroin story. And uh, so I hadn't read this one. And I really dug it. I thought the whole thing with like the monastery and the uh, six page Incunabula, which was another, my other Hygaxian nomination that I had made in the patron book club, um, which is a uh, small. small book published before 1501. I don't know why specifically 1501, but that's the definition of that word. But anyway, so he's like reading this and like now suddenly he's like really wants to find out where the story ends. So he goes to these runes and goes into the dungeons of the runes, which takes him into magical Lamia land where like he meets this like sexy demon woman. But then like he's rescued by the monastery guy, but he definitely wants to go back and get more Lamia action. Like I loved it. I thought it was so much fun. I thought it was was so atmospheric and dark
2: and oh so good it it reminded me of uh of of something from hammer from hammer films honestly yes the whole time i read it like the
0: gorgon that hammer yeah like Like the Gorgon, yeah
2: Um, so yeah, I, I loved it too. And the whole time I was, I was reading it. I kept thinking of the, the horror cliche where the characters do exactly what you tell them not to do. And that's the whole, like, that's the whole thing. The story pivots around because like, he was like, yeah, don't read it. And just right back in to read it. I know I would do the same thing. I know I would. So,
0: so in uh, my section of the book club, Jeremy Harper said he chose to read that story as having a happy ending. That he went down there and was forever <laughs> enveloped in the arms of Delamia, yes, and found true love with this demon, demon thing.
1: Speaking of happy endings, though, like reading the Clark Ashton Smith stories the way that we have, reading the Hyperborea stories and the Zothique stories, they usually have such incredibly bleak endings. I was surprised how many happy endings we had in his early collected works.
0: Mm, right, like they get rescued on the, you know, on the Walmart story, and
1: <laughs> yeah, and then there's the happenstance comet that rescued that that saves his butt in the um, the monster from what is it called?
0: The, the monster the, from prophecy. The monster of the prophecy. The monster yeah. of the prophecy. Yeah. yeah. Um, which also, uh, has probably the best ending and Dan Alexander cited the ending because that, um, yeah, yes. basically, basically, and this is another one of the stories that you met, you said, you cited. Oh, like she's got six arms and I want to bang her anyway. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> <It's>, exactly. <laughs> as soon as he called
2: yeah. her arms supple as I, as I think what he said, I was like, all right, here it goes. It's going to happen <laughs> yes. now. Um,
0: you know, and the wizard just like pieces out, right? The viz the Pumile just like pieces mm-hmm. out and leaves him there.
2: <laughs> I like, was I was pissed for him when that yeah. happened. I was
1: like, are you kidding me? Come on. Um, it felt like a Twilight Zone episode to me. Really nice. Yeah. Guy. And that final sentence where it says, it would seem from this that the people of Ominorian had mastered the ultra-civilized art of minding their own Ooh, business. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Absolutely perfect <laughs> <Yeah. ending>. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Speaking of happy endings, um, I think it's the devotee
2: of evil. Uh-huh. uh Yeah. Talking about a happy ending there. <laughs>
0: well, <laughs> Now, there was an interesting little uh citation in the appendix that apparently that he based that on the story of a house that was this is for you Matt for true crime that um that he knew of that in the area he grew up where a man had murdered his entire family and then tried to burn down the place and so
2: wow okay yeah, yeah. that's that's really interesting the whole time the whole time I read that the, i think the reason that's probably the one that stood out to me um it's probably in second place overall for me. I loved it because it it felt like uh, they were setting up a, a classic like haunted house type story. Um, the whole time I was reading, and I kept thinking of uh, like the Changeling or something like that. Um, it was it was really interesting. And then the machine that the guy had built uh, in 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 his spare room was just wild. Uh, it was super cool.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It also made me think, and I wonder. Uh, we know that John Carpenter was a big Lovecraft fan right mm-hmm. um but um his movie prince of darkness which is uh again that this concept of just like this evil it's not even intelligent it's just like this like atomic level force and that's what they're trying to discover in prince of darkness as i recall mm-hmm. um and uh, and that's also very much like the equator mass films too
2: yeah so, absolutely yeah. yeah you're you're welcome anything that has to do with me is going to come back to movies so <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> fair fair one thing that surprised me reading this was that some of his early horror writing was really pretty hacky and um and also felt very EC comics tales from the crypt mm-hmm. like especially the resurrection of the rattlesnake was Thank like such you. like a hokey little story <laughs> Oh
2: my god I read that and I was like are we are we are we playing here or what are we doing? <laughs> What are we doing here that one was so goofy. It was so silly. Um it was what it was well written. It was a really easy read. Uh yeah. that was that was definitely one of the pulpy moments of this oh. because you oh. you know that these guys who were who were you know, writing at that time, a lot of their stories would be published in pulp magazines and stuff like that. So, uh, you got to have the pulpier stuff, I suppose right. for that audience. Right.
0: Did you see the comment about the end of the story there in the, uh, appendices too? Well, apparently he did not come up with that ending with the rattlesnake being found grasped in the hand of the, the corpse. And it was when the editor said, Hey, you should do something like that. And he goes, Oh, that's such a great idea. And he like actually fixed it in like the typescript.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, The suits always ruin everything. <laughs>
1: What I also thought was interesting was how with both A Knight in Malniont and in Thirteen Phantasms, they're both kind of stories that are kind of exploring grief and loss in kind of a supernatural way. Like in A Knight in Malniont, like although like the woman he loved has died, no matter how much time passes, no matter how far he goes, he ends up back in this place where everybody is just celebrating her death. And that really are not celebrating her death, but like mourning her death. And it really just kind of felt like this what this like the way that with mourning, it always lasts way longer than we want. And we can travel as much as we want and we can leave, but that loss is still with us and keeps returning again and again. And then in 13 Phantasms, this guy is dying and he sees his like his dead love return. And then there's two of them, and then there's three of them. And now like they're just crowded in the room. And that's the last thing he sees as he dies. I thought those were like, although they weren't terribly complex stories i thought they were really beautiful mm-hmm. they they really were and i'm
2: i'm gonna add in that something that i noticed in several of these stories uh powerful beings uh like there's one where there's um a siren who's just in a like a pole of of basically like a puddle of mud on some maroon planet that's dying and you have like this this thing that is talking about how she used to be powerful and she used to you know basically rule that that world or, or whatever and now she's deteriorating into nothing and like literally shrivelling up and um yeah. that that's it's wild and then I think it is it the 13 the 13 phantasms is that the one where um it's uh he, he used to be a um like a sorcerer or something like that. And he's dying. Is that the same one? That's I'm thinking the of? last
0: incantation. It's the last
2: it. incantation. That's what I'm thinking of, because again, you have this really powerful character that is suddenly really vulnerable. And I thought that was really yeah. interesting that he kept going that route, right. like the vulnerability of even something that seems like it should be so powerful.
0: Right. Well, um, again, um, I think you've definitely latched onto it. This, this, a uh, regret is a major theme in a lot of these stories, right? Yeah. Um, and I like that, uh, but I, was I, again, was surprised by the amount of humor that Clark Ashton Smith had. So if you read, like, for example, um, The Venus of Azambe, right? There's a powerful regret there, but he completely flips, essentially does the same story, but flips it around with the root of ampoy, And it's just like the comedy, plays the same story for comedy in that way, <laughs> where the, you know, he becomes like, you know, with the tribe of the eight foot women. Mm-hmm. Um, but even then, it's still regret. It's like, oh, I had this good thing and I fucked it up somehow (laughs) right? or I let it go
1: yeah and then also with the with the tale of Satampro what is it? Satampro, yeah with that story with the root of Ampoi and with the voyage to Svanone
0: Svanomoe I think I choose to pronounce it yeah
1: Yeah. (laughs) with all of those there's also very much like the story of like uh, downfall through hubris Mm -hmm. you -hmm. know and especially like i i really loved the 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 ending of a voyage to venus i'll call it that because that's what it is um, <laughs> yeah. like i loved how like you know poseidon is 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 about to be destroyed so they get into the little glass orb and spend years growing their beards out and reading books only to like land on venus and get turned into flowers yeah like, but they're all like so giggling perfect. at the same
0: time like oh hey look you're a flower you know and they're like like, <laughs> like oh but we're not going to do anything to save all the our civilization we're just going to peace out also just like yeah. they, like that's what wizards do they just peace out <laughs>
1: <laughs> so matt i'm curious transitioning this more to a gaming side of the conversation i guess starting with um since this is kind of foundational writing while you were reading this were you seeing anything where you're like oh this feels very like proto D to me um yeah there was oh what was the
2: name of it i'm so sorry i'm bad with the names here um what's the name of it that there I are a was... lot of
1: stories we read so yeah there okay. are a
2: ton of them um <laughs> was it the planet of the dead that had the uh the um like the orbs that were like terraforming earth is, is that uh, the that one? was the
0: metamorphosis of the world
2: Meta- yes. oh my gosh see yeah. I'm so bad about this yeah. um yeah that one that one was interesting to me because you know when you when i play when i play dnd there are moments where you come up against something that feels so overwhelming like you're never going to be able to to conquer it or beat it and it's like this this sense of dread and that's what i got from that story was kind of that same sense of like well we're all screwed it's over now um just just tpk the whole world um (laughs) you know so that one was really interesting um the uh, the one that I mentioned before too. Uh, again, let me marooned, um, Yeah, marooned in Andromeda. That one is a, is another one that that you know reminded me of something um, like you know the the exploration aspect, like coming to a place that you don't know and you're exploring, and things are going to either go okay or you're going to end up like them and just tossed around a planet and <laughs> it almost killed three thousand times so
1: yeah there's a lot of exploring strange and bizarre places that mm-hmm. our minds can't quite comprehend or fully can't comprehend and that's that's pretty like proto D d in a lot of ways
3: mm-hmm.
1: absolutely yeah and um
2: oh, there was uh there was another one too that really stuck out to me and I was thinking about it literally right before we came on here and I think it was um oh where was it it was probably the ninth skeleton, the one, uh, the, the one where he's just out for a walk in the woods and, and by the end of it, there are all these skeletons coming out of nowhere. He's, he's out to meet his, his lover or something like that. Um, that one, that one had some, um, again, some of that, that hammer, hammer type of vibe to it, which, uh, which I thought seemed a
1: little D D ish. Yeah. How about you, Hoy? were you picking up on any proto D and D stuff?
0: Uh, well, as I we said before, the really obvious one would be Tale of Satyapur Zeros. but um, even the very first story, Abominations of Yondo, is very much like a hex crawl, right? Each little spot he goes to, something new and weird is there, and some new weird creature, some new weird danger. Um, You know, this little lake here, and then suddenly there's like the weird, you know, ferns or vines there that are doing the thing. So, um, and it's, It's a hex crawl, but it's somewhat bounded because he he knows that there's these mountains that he can sort of get get to, but he never does, you know, and that's the evil cult behind him. But again, the Tales of Tampas Eros, I just like, because again, I mean, there's there's always people argue, oh, the thief has no bit, there's no business having a separate thief class. We could argue about the cleric class. I know that, you know, we have a stronger case for the cleric class, but there is a literary precedent right there. For the thief class.
1: Oh yeah. yeah. The the thief, the warrior and the wizard is very clearly rooted in the appendix end. Now you could argue that thieves and warriors are kind of the same thing, um, depending on where what source you're looking at. Like Conan clearly
0: right. has but in this case, yeah. Yeah. In this case, the Tom is so clearly a thief and not a warrior. Exactly. Right. That, I that, agree he with that completely. That archetype. Um and then of course these wizards in there you know I mean uh the wizard Malagrist from Last Incantation you know is right there literally sitting in his tower and the two yeah. brothers in the voyage to Svanamoe are are scientists but they're wizards right? they're wizards so. yeah absolutely <laughs>
1: And then, like, in the necromantic tale, we have, like, the secret doors, and in the end of the mm-hmm. story, we have, like, the dungeon. There's a lot... We're, we're laying a lot of groundwork that we're going to be exploring a lot more in the 1970s and 80s and onward in right. our game. And
0: uh, a Maroon from Andromeda, too, again, you know, the one that you say is very Western. That's very much, like his answer to like an Edgar Rice Burroughs story and, and, and this like everything is happening, like one thing after another. And again, it has that hex crawly vibe and okay, here's the little tribe of this thing and here's the giant monster and here's the weird pool We can squeeze our way through, you know? So it's, it's totally D and D, you know?
1: Exactly. Now, while you were reading this, did you guys come up with some things that you think would be fun to steal and incorporate in your gaming or that you think could be a fun thing to experience as a player even?
0: I like the creature in Immeasurable Horror. I think that would be a great, like, extinction-level event. Um, you know, especially once they've started doing the domain game, suddenly you have this monster that is so huge, it's hundreds of miles along, it has its own gravitational field, you know.
2: Yeah. Uh-huh. For but. me, it was the end of the story. The uh, the forbidden thing that you shouldn't read. Yes. Um, I feel like that, should make, that would make such an interesting... Um, an interesting thing to throw at some some players and see how they react to it, see which one's gonna read it, which one (laughs) wouldn't read it. Mm -hmm. Um, and then and then come up with some way to tell who read it and who didn't read it. Um and I think that would I think that would be a lot of fun. But yeah, that 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 aspect of the end of the story I think would fit
1: right in there. I love that. And that kind of ties into um, actually, because I kind of have two answers and that kind of ties into both of them, because one of them is also from the end of the story. I love that our main guy in the beginning of the story is walking down this 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 paved, well traveled road. And it's not—it's not turning. It doesn't. He doesn't make any wrong turn anywhere. But somehow it's like turning into like kind of a cart path, and then it's a footpath, and now it's like he's like just barely walking through the woods. And he's like, "How did this happen? This was like a main road." I just thought that was really cool, and I would love to just see that in a, in a game. But also, um, kind of tying into kind of what you were talking about with like giving the PCs something that they may or may not respond to. I was thinking about how. Um, in the story, A Murder in the Fourth Dimension, how, like, you find that note that's like, I took this guy, I used, I, he used his his machine that they called the vibrator. He, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he, he used his vibrator to take the guy that he wanted to murder to this other dimension, murdered him there, but then couldn't get back. But he could send the note back. Yeah. So I was thinking it would be really fun in a anD D adventure to like have like a room with like a magic mirror or something, and in front of the magic mirror is a note, and it's like a note from some like evil sorcerer who was like, "Oh, I'm like stuck in this mirror. I did the following things. Please let me out." And the PCs, like if they let him out, they may be able to get something from him, but obviously, like shit's gonna go badly as well if they bring him out. So do they do they interact with it or are they just like, fuck that dude, I'm going to the next room.
0: Right. I think you actually um the lamentations of the flame princess module, Tower of the Stargazer, okay a little bit plays on that because there's a telescope. If you look inside the telescope, you can see the wizard is trapped in this other dimension.
1: Cool. Yeah, oh, that's yeah. cool. Okay. Yeah. Um, That's really cool.
0: Um, yeah. One thing I was struck by, it's not so much a gaming thing, although I think you should definitely gamify it is the, I hadn't realized from reading this, how much Clark Ashton Smith was rooted. I mean, he has all these fantastic landscapes, but he also describes the Northern California landscape uh, yeah. really, really well. Um, and that he's a, a very effective regional writer. Um, Cause we think of Lovecraft, you know, Lovecraft knows new England. Uh, Robert E. Howard knows Texas and I just thought of Clark Ashton Smith as purely fantastic, but then these stories, like the um, the fan- the fanta- uh, phantoms of the fire and stuff like mm-hmm. that, like, oh, California, but it's also still kind of alien, I'm, you know, from the East Coast, and that that Northern California, very wildness, um, was really vivid to me. And um, actually, Matt Richards was mentioning uh, in our other book, he lives in uh, Canada, but in sort of the same zone as where all the wildfires were also happening in. California. So he said that it really affected him. He's like, "Oh, like one town over burned down, and that feeling wow. of fear and tire, uh, you know." Uh, so that was really relatable to him. Um, uh, so yeah, that's the kind of thing. And I would imagine that people like um, Carl Edward Wagner would really do the same thing for Appalachia, and you know, uh, you know, sort of, and Manley Wade Wellman for that matter too. You know, so mm-hmm. yeah.
2: yeah, another another happy ending right there that we can bring up, right? another
0: <laughs> which happy ending phantom of the, ph- phantasm of the flame. <laughs> <laughs> phantom
2: of the flame yeah. oh yeah yeah that one uh that that was uh that was that was a little bit i i don't i didn't know how i felt about that story when i when i read it at first but um yeah yeah i totally agree with you the way that he like you feel like you're walking along the side of the road with him when you read the way he describes that um it was really really well done
0: so I like th- I like that level of specificity. It's not yeah. I mean you don't have to get like super, super descriptive of your running game, but if you can just like okay, you're in this country, it feels different than the mountain road in this country because it's like this. Yeah. You know, uh-huh. it's hot, it's dry as opposed to XYZ. So
1: now Matt, you mentioned you went back and listened to a few of our episodes. Did you listen to any of the ones with Clark Ashton that were recovered, Clark Ashton Smith? I did
2: not. I actually okay. listened to um I listened to one from December and then I went back and listened to two more from January, cool. um, but I'd have to pull up the episodes and tell you which
1: ones they were. That's okay. fine. Um, the, the reason I'm asking is I'm going to ask you a question that we discussed at length in those, in those episodes. Cause I'm just kind of curious about your kind of initial thoughts here. So Gary Gygax, the co-creator mm-hmm. of Dungeons and Dragons made the list of the books that you should read for your, for inspiration, for your gaming. And of the weird tales, big three, he included Robert E. Howard he included HP Lovecraft and he did not include Clark Ashton Smith. Now, without being like a Gygaxian scholar, is it your is it your is it your gut that maybe Gary Gygax left out Clark Ashton Smith intentionally, or that it had to have been an oversight? I, I,
2: it has to be an oversight. I mean, it, it, it absolutely has to be because there's, if you include HP Lovecraft and you don't include, um, Clark Ashton Smith, after just reading this, this one collection, um, then you're either lying to yourself or you, you just, it was an oversight. (laughs) Um, so I'm going to go with oversight and, and, and think, uh, positive thoughts on that. So I'll go oversight. It has to be,
1: it has to be.
3: There you you go.
1: Fair, fair. <laughs> the the really shortened version of our the the many conversations we've had about this in the past is some people think it's an oversight. Some the, the thing that I do not agree with is some people think well maybe Gary Gygax didn't read Clark Ashton Smith. There's no bullshit. Way. He definitely read Clark Ashton Smith. Yeah. 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 Um. But the other argument that I really do kind of like is that maybe Gary Gygax thought that Clark Ashton Smith was a little too adult with like the with like the the. The, how much sexuality was a part of um the stories which you don't see with Lovecraft at all. Right. Um, so maybe his Catholic sensibilities right. weren't too keen on recommending that, and also just how bleak these stories are, but that's also true with Lovecraft. So
0: well, if it is sexuality, it's not because it's not like the men's magazine, everything's cool sexuality. The sexuality is kind of weird and 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 Distorted. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Gygax is fine yeah. with big booby sexuality or like Conan, you know, raping women. But but it's it's the I'm gonna have sex with this thing with eight limbs that's decaying.
2: Well, <laughs> you know, like I said, when I when I read this, I just kept thinking to myself, and, and honestly, that is the first thing that stood out to me about him, um, comparing him to HP Lovecraft, was just how um how different sexuality was treated. Like I said, I I get the feeling that that lovecraft he just didn't he just just no sex ever just it didn't exist oh yeah lovecraft stories are completely yeah they're completely bereft Mm -hmm. of any like there's no sexuality at all uh that i could that i can find and in this it's almost like there are some scenes that are like hyper sexual (laughs) in this oh yeah and it's uh it's really it's really night and day and it kind of blows me away that that Lovecraft was apparently such a big fan of Clark Ashton Smith's style uh, because it had so much sexuality. I figured that would drive him away, but um, apparently he he uh, loved him. So. Yeah.
0: yeah. He's, uh, you know, whatever you can say about Lovecraft, he was a man of taste, yes. literary taste. So that's a kind of interesting thing to think. Now, having read, uh, this is your first exposure to Clark mm-hmm. Ashton Smith, and in this way that uh, we've all agreed is probably not ideal for a first time reader. If you were to continue reading Clark Ashton Smith, which it seems like you would, would you try to like self-curate? Would you like? Would you uh, you know look f- look for previous collections? Would you um, just read them in this you know this, as they are published in this series? What would your way of going forward with Clark Ashton Smith be?
2: I'll be honest. I'm I'm definitely going to keep going with Clark Ashton Smith, and I'm probably just going to go ahead and and keep going with these collections. Um, yeah, you know, yeah. don't get me wrong. There are some that are that were I'll just call them a slog. I mean, they were they were like, you know, going a couple rounds in a boxing ring with someone. But um, there were there were more that I liked than I than I didn't like. Yeah. So I think I'm just going to keep going down this road uh, because. I, I'll be honest with you. I'm finding as much to love here as I do with HP Lovecraft. So um, cool. I think it's going to be
1: fun to uh, to keep kind of digging in. So. Right. so by the time this episode airs, I will already be back from GaryCon. But by the time we're recording this, we're about two weeks out from GaryCon. And um, GaryCon is a gaming convention in Wisconsin that I'm going to. And I signed up to play in a game called Save Weird Tales. And in the game, we get to play... H.P. Lovecraft, Clark Ashton Smith, and Robert E. Howard as c- as like Lovecraftian monsters actually come and try to destroy like the Re- Weird Tales magazine headquarters. This sounds incredibly fun. So my question for the group here is. If you were going to be playing in this, which character would you want to play and what would be your take on that character? I'm personally hoping to play H.P. Lovecraft and I want to play H.P. Lovecraft as, um, as Eeyore. <laughs> <laughs> Either that or I want to play August Derleth who just follows H.P. Lovecraft around and does everything L- Lovecraft does. <laughs> but what about you guys? Wh- mm. Who do you want to play and what would be your take on that character? Oh, I, I guess I'll go because I'm I'm
2: actually going to say Clark Ashton Smith is who I would play because I want to play him like um, uh, like Tom Cruise from Top Gun, just uh, <laughs> just like the ladies' man and like the sex symbol and uh, and just just try to, you know just try to bang everything is, is what I'm <laughs> going to do uh, because that just seems like so much fun. Um He see, cause I, I'll be honest with you ever since I, ever since I read this, I, uh, I watched a documentary about Clark Ashton Smith. I've, I've kind of dug into his uh kind of dug into his art a little bit and some of his mm-hmm. poetry and, and the guy had a style that is just unmistakable. I just, I just really dig him. So yeah.
0: Hoink. Um, I might just go wild card and play Farnsworth Wright and be that total bastard who doesn't pay everybody. <laughs> like, it's like, you guys take care of it. I'll just tell all the writers, you guys take care of it. I'll be here in the office. You know, any of you survive, uh, I'll, I'll pay you a penny or word. <laughs> you know? I'll, I'll
1: be over here. You guys
3: have fun. All
1: right. <laughs> And Rick Byrne was saying he wants to play Robert E. Howard, and he would just be like this real like bombastic like manly man who mm-hmm. like he like answers everything with his fists.
0: Yep, for sure. <laughs> well, someone would have to play C.L. Moore and a couple of the others, you know, later on too. But yeah, you know.
1: and I'm really curious to see who our full options are because I mean there's six there's six players, right. and he he mentions the three in the description for the game, but I don't know who the other three writers that we're going to get to choose from are going to be. So it'll be interesting to
0: see. Play the writers um as if they were reflections of their most famous uh, literary creations. And mm, so, okay. right? so if you if you had to see Barry Quinn, then you would have to like be a bad you put on a bad French accent because you're playing uh, you know Jules de is, <laughs>
2: <laughs> No, <laughs> I must <laughs> like Clark Ashton Smith, you could you could play him as like uh as like a beach bum, you know what I mean? Because <laughs> he's from California. So yeah. just just do yeah. that.
0: Also true. Or, uh, the other way I kind of see him is like as John Waters. Yeah, a little pencil mustache, desk. little yeah. pencil mustache, and a, like a yeah. cigarette holder.
2: You know what? I take everything back. I'm just going to play John Waters if we play that. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to go back in time, and I'm going to be. So the answer is always John Waters. That's that's it. <laughs> <laughs> that
1: wins. There you go. <laughs> Amazing. Cool. Well, I guess we can go ahead and start wrapping up there. Matt, do you have any final thoughts about this collection or about a specific story that we didn't get a chance to get to that you would like to share?
2: Um, I-, I talked about all the ones that I like. I- I'm I'm going to say though that uh, like. Don't get me wrong I I do now that I've found out that you guys got to uh to read the fun stuff first and I got stuck <laughs> with the uh, <laughs> with the uh with the tough stuff um I I really I just really appreciate um the, the chance to, to jump into Clark Ashton Smith. I'm so busy that, um, I just don't have time to, to get into what I want to get into. So this has been, um, really cool to, uh, to break into this. And I'm going to say that, um, again, the one that I like the most Maroon and Andromeda, um, go, go read that. If you read any from this book, I think that's
1: the best one. Uh, so I'll just leave it at that. Very cool. And Matt, do you want to tell us about your podcast and any projects you're working on?
2: Yeah. So right now, the podcast that I have that uh, that is the most active, I'm technically I have two podcasts, Proud Meat, which is on hiatus right now. Um, and then we have Main Corpse, which you should definitely check out if you're into true crime. Um, it's also kind of a foodie podcast. Um, it'll make sense once you uh, once you listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're on Twitter, we're on Facebook um, at Main Corpse Pod, um, and you can find me on Twitter um, at Matt King WV. Um, and you know, come on there and talk. Cool. What does the
1: WV stand for? Um, West Virginia, <laughs> Virginia is what it stands for. By so. God,
2: <laughs> yeah, I am a, uh, I am a, I am a, diehard Appalachian. Um, so everything, everything I do has something to do with West Virginia. So
1: <laughs> perfect. Oh, and speaking of your interest and in your your recommendation for the Telltale Lilac Bush, um, there are two things I recommend for you if these are not mm-hmm. already on your radar. The first is uh, Dungeon Crawl Classics has a setting called the Chained Coffin. And the Chained Coffin is basically Dungeons and Dragons via Appalachia. And I think you'll really dig this setting. So if you want to look up the Chained Coffin. And the other thing I want to recommend for you is Manly Wade Wellman. Have you heard of him? No, I have not. Uh, He's an author who has a collection of stories called um, uh, Silver John or John the Balladeer. And it's all about this um this like Appalachian man who's got this like silver stringed banjo who's wandering through Appalachia, um, encountering like strange folk folk monsters and like battling them with his banjo. Oh,
2: that's the story of my life. That's what yeah. I do every day. <laughs> that's just that's just Tuesday right
0: here. Yeah. Yeah. And then, of course, uh, I'm sure you've read, but uh, Carl Edward Wagner, although he's from Tennessee originally. Yeah. Um, So, any Carl Edward Wagner horror stories and the Kane stories, which we still haven't done the Kane episode, Jeff. We need to do one soon. Yep, yep. So. Well,
1: thankfully, you are also responsible for half of the poll selections, <laughs> there so you go. There you
0: go.
1: <laughs> I can't take full blame for no, that. No,
0: it's true. It's true. And then we, get, we 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 put up the vote, and then uh, we get the real we'll surprises sometimes too. So,
1: but it's true. We haven't even put one up for vote yet.
0: Yeah, true. That's true. I don't think
1: we've had any Carl Carl Edward Edward Wagner on any of our polls yet.
0: Not yet. So soon, soon, soon. Speaking cool. of which. What is our poll, f- and what are our poll results for upcoming yes, episodes?
1: I love it. So the um, the the poll, the results of our poll for episode 123 are in. We will be covering Fritz Leiber's The Knight and Knave of Swords. When this episode drops, we are going to post our poll for our patrons at patreon.com slash appendix n book club um, for episode 127. And Episodes 127, the theme for that poll is from the pages of Weird Tales magazine. So we're continuing on with our T- Weird Tales trend, and our options are Seabury Quinn's The Horror on the Links, The Complete Tales of Jules de Grandin, Volume 1. Um, we also have Robert E. Howard's Conan the Conqueror, H.P. Lovecraft's The Lurking Fear and Other Stories, and Clark Ashton Smith's The Door to Saturn, the, com- the Collected Fantasies of Clark Ashton Smith, Volume 2. So that's what would be up for a vote for episode 127 for Ooh, our that's patrons.
0: G- that's going to be a tough one. I just got-
1: it is. Speaking of our patrons, they also get to join us for our patron book clubs prior to our recordings. So uh, today we are joined by Rick Byrne, Matt Richards, Jeff Willett... Dan Alexander, Joseph Hoopman, Jeremy Harper, and Adam Styers. Thank you all for joining us today. And I would also like to give a shout out to a few of our other patrons as well. Uh, I'd like to send a shout out to Jason White, Robbie Fioto, Eric Hicks, Noah Green, Richard Ruane, and Deimos Saklas. We really appreciate your support. And if you're listening to this and you're not currently one of our supporters and you like the show and would like to give us some support please head on over to patreon.com slash Appendix N Book Club and show us your love.
0: Right. And we love you anyway, so just uh, just want to give us some feedback. Just You can hit us up at appendixnbookclub at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at, at appendix underscore N. Uh, please rate us and review us on your podcatcher of choice. It helps people find us.
1: Yes, and thank you to the um, eight-limbed Venusian, uh, <laughs> Matt King, for joining us on the show today.
0: Right very very effable Eight very <laughs> very, supp- very supple very supple <laughs>
2: <effable. laughs> didn't did did with all work? of that and uh, it's it's true it's, Ed, that works i i'm i'm flattered and i love it so
1: <laughs> Well, Matt, thanks for being on the show, though.
2: Absolutely, anytime, guys. <laughs> um, it was a blast. Thank you, guys. Like I said, for giving me a chance to uh, to jump into Clark Ashton Smith. It was awesome. So
0: there you go, pleasure absolutely. and an honor. All right, everybody. See you in the sec. Read on.
1: The library is closed.